Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Carl. All right. So we have a couple of things to talk about today. Do you want to talk about the Eternals trailer? Sure. I'll talk about the Eternals trailer. All right. Um, so my impression of this, the, the overall thing when I watched this was like, it still looks really beautiful, which was my my impression watching the teaser. And I'm not sure what they're really going for so much in this. Like, I don't, I mean, I know generally what they're going for, which is eternals versus deviants it seems like but i'm not sure exactly what the tone of this thing is but i really thought it was funny that they addressed thanos three times in the trailer like they were overly being like hey guys on the internet we get it they weren't around for the thanos snap like we're gonna like it'll make sense don't worry about it you know i just think it's funny because they're clearly to me somewhat worried about the black widow thing like not quite living up to expectations financially. And so I think that they're like dressing the internet that way. And it just seemed like weirdly reactionary for a Marvel trailer. I, I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? Do they produce the trailers in-house? Isn't that usually some third party that does that? I know that they go over the stuff that pops up on there with a fine tooth comb because they are aware that anything they drop could tip off anything you know so often they'll change things digitally so that it doesn't give away something like an example is a spider-man far from home they show his id at one point and if you like zoomed in you could see it was blurred out and you couldn't see the writing and that's because there was the blip and they didn't want to give away that there was a five-year gap between movies uh, thor's eye yes yeah famously they did that as well for that trailer But it just felt weirdly reactionary to me. And I was looking up something on Black Widow. So apparently some court documents have been flying out. And so Marvel had to release how much they made on Disney+. Plus. So it looks like from the time of that report, it was $120 that they made. And so when you put that with the box office, you know, a lot of people are saying, like, this might be the worst showing since Incredible Hulk. But it turns out there's been, like, six or seven movies before that that gross less. So... Whatever, dude. It, it's not sure. nearly the what people thought it was. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why a movie why it wouldn't perform super good. Uh, the Suicide Squad also didn't perform super great, right? And but it was on HBO Max <clears throat> the entire time, so. It's so- Good. They had to know that was going to gut their audience, yeah. right? Like, I, it seemed like James Gunn, you know, he he totally seems you know, to have made our peace conversation that. about the Suicide Squad got cut short last time. Yeah, it did, and then we had a week off on top of it. Huh. Um, I should just say the reason why there was a rerun last week was because my grandma died, and uh, she actually died on the day we were going to do the show, but I got it out a day early because I could tell it was going to happen pretty quick. So I had to take some time off, and that was just the best thing I could come up with was to have something that maybe people hadn't heard because I don't know how long everybody's been listening to Box Office Battles on the show, <laughs> if they've ever listened to it. Like, right. who knows, you know? But if you want to talk about Suicide Squad, we could certainly. Well, I'm just the I met a person the other day that said that they thought the first Suicide Squad was better. That's insane to me. There's no possible way that they were actually paying attention <laughs> to this Suicide Squad because 
it's a red flag if you prefer the first Suicide Squad over the second one. I'm going to go that far. If you think that David Ayer's Suicide Squad is a better depiction of the characters, if you think it's a better written story, if you think the action sequences are better, I can't help but compare the two movies together. And I cut myself short from comparing the two before. But we kind of did it But anyway. we have to. <laughs> we actually kind of have to because it's like on just a surface level. Here's a good example. In the in Suicide Squad, two members of Suicide Squad die. Two. In the Suicide Squad, I think 11 die. Yeah, there's a lot in that opening battle. 13 die and two come back. So 11 die total. But like six or seven die in the first 10 minutes and then more die later on. And they die in ways that are meaningful and they die in ways that are tragic and funny and tragically funny. And like compare that to like just I don't know. Every single character earns everything that happens to them, whether they're the bad guys earning getting their comeuppance or the good guys earning their reward. You know, it's like it's all just earned. The Idris Elba blood sport is a good character. He starts out, he's yelling at his daughter. (laughs) And that's like a realistic depiction of a dysfunctional family, too. Like, it makes more sense that like a mercenary with an un with an illegitimate unwanted child would have a dysfunctional relationship with that child than that they would be like the pursuit of happiness you know like yeah. good dad so like man deadshot deadshot that evil hitman that kills people for money is such a good dad <laughs> <laughs> it's way better for to be like wow so he's an evil mercenary and he's a shitty dad And then he is able to sort of redeem at least one of those things by the end of the movie. He redeems himself in the eyes of his kid at least somewhat. Like in that moment. You know, and it's not even – and it's that movement that matters. It's the fact that he – even though he's a scumbag, he has a certain nobility when it comes to things that really matter. When he's in the – when it's in the clutch, it fucking makes a difference. And that little bit – it it may not be enough to make up for a lifetime of mistakes, but it doesn't have to because it's something. There's other clever stuff that's happening with the Bloodsport character, too, which is when they wrote the screenplay, they realized that Will Smith might want in on it. So they wrote it so that it could be Deadshot. And obviously, Will Smith didn't want to be a part of it. So they got Idris Elba and did Bloodshot. But then I think they have the meta thing with Peacemaker where like Peacemaker doubles up on everything and like kind of does the same thing. Like he has the same skills, which is funny on the surface, but it's also funny below the surface because you realize they're kind of like making fun of the fact that like they had this other lead character who's in a lot of ways like Will Smith's character. You know what I mean? Like they're just kind of pointing to that. Like it's it's a little bit of a meta moment, but I think it's very, very funny. And the character is handled so much better. Like if Will Smith's character, Deadshot, was handled the same way that James Gunn handled this, it would have been way better. I mean, it's just at every level, James Gunn's writing was just far superior to so, to Ayer's version. And like also the way he just handles characterization in general. Like, I mean, look at your two like monster characters. In Suicide Squad, you've got Killer Croc and they give him kind of a black scent 
and they make him kind of urban and they give him a weird little crocodile move that he makes when he dives into water. And other than that, he has like zero personality they make and he him, doesn't matter. They make him a stereotypical black thug. Yeah. Honestly, and, like that's yeah, what yeah. they're doing. In and they movie. don't even make him like monstrous, really. He's just slightly larger, but he's like all scaly and weird looking. So they make him monstrous without really making him a monster. It's kind of unpleasant to watch. And then you compare that to King Shark, who is, like, fucking amazing. He's, like, big and lumbering and vicious, but also, like, childlike and so captivating. With the combination, like, Voltron acting of Steve Agee doing the body work and then Sylvester Stallone providing the voice, they just, like, one-two punched it out of the park with that character. Yeah. You like when he says, I know friends you want to like, it makes you want to cry. Yeah. Like, cause he's not inherently evil. He's just, he's just a shark. Yeah. Man. And he that's what have shark, that's what human, sharks do. He doesn't have eat. human morality in the sense of like human social morality. That's like a learned thing. That's not something that's like, and yeah, he could be a demigod. He's seemingly invulnerable. <laughs> yeah, like they said, they they believe that his dad was a god, or at least some islanders believe that, I think yeah. they say. And his name is like Nanue, I think, something like it's what they call him. And uh, he's fantastic. Fucking Ratcatcher 2 is one of my favorite characters in <laughs> I still laugh the that DCU. they just went with Ratcatcher 2. And they don't even shy from it. They're just brilliant. like, like I feel like this is a difference with if it had been a Marvel property. I think that they would have just called it called her Ratcatcher and then like had something where they passed the man- mantle or whatever. But James Gunn just goes for the insane comic thing where it's like, no, it's Ratcatcher 2. And we're not even going to introduce Ratcatcher until it's like a... a flashback sequence way later in the movie <laughs> or like well like she's Ratcatcher's daughter and it makes sense like in her mind i can see her going what do i need another name for i'll just be Ratcatcher too right which is something they do in comics all the time but it's yeah. just funny that like james gunn was like no that's she's Ratcatcher too like he just writes her as Ratcatcher too you know and, and it makes it <clears throat> funny like it's 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 a thing that makes people laugh when you hear it the first time even like the second or third time honestly because it's it's just that crazy thing you would see from comics and so much of that movie feels like a comic just like in how crazy they get with a lot of the stuff and it's why I really like that movie quite a bit like it I'm pretty sure it was my favorite superhero movie this year I can't even think of any other so ones yeah i guess like black widow yeah what a, what was that the other one yeah th- and then we're gonna get shang chi here next month right September. we're getting it so as of this recording we're getting it in less than two weeks yeah yeah because it's already premiered in china and uh is that it this year no dude marvel has a movie coming out every two months roughly so after shang chi it's the eternals oh right okay and then I think... And then Spider-Man? I think we're getting... It's either Spider-Man and Doctor Strange or Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. I can't remember which is which, but like they, I think they're a month from each other. So they basically just hit a thing where they're like, we had too much built up and we know the longer... I mean, we kind of saw this with Black Widow, right? Like if they had released Black Widow when they intended it, it probably would have hit better 
but obviously they couldn't because of the pandemic. Like the longer those sit on the shelves, the less receptive people are going to be to hearing it, you know. And people have been talking about these movies endlessly for years now. So it's like they have to get it moving. They have to like keep the machinery going, you know. No, I don't know. I think they should, you know, I think they should wait and they should release one trailer for Spider-Man like two days before it releases. No announcement. They should just drop it. And not say anything. Well, they don't have to. Once they, it drops, they it, really the don't. Internet but they do, it. though. They still announce shit. But they should just drop the trailer with no announcement whatsoever. That's kind of how Marvel usually does it now. Like earlier, they used to like kind of build up to the trailer. But I feel like the last four or five years, it just suddenly drops, and you're like, "What the fuck?" And it's just suddenly online. You know, like the Endgame trailer was like that. Uh, we did. I don't remember if you were recording with us at the time, but when we were doing Montucky Skies, we did this whole thing where we were talking about all the stuff that was going. And I think we talked about some endgame speculation. And then I dropped the episode and two hours after I dropped the episode, the endgame trailer suddenly dropped just out of nowhere. They didn't tell anybody at all that it was dropping. So they have a history of just kind of dropping things without warning. Which was not how they originally did it, but it's definitely how they they tend to do it now. Since we're on the Marvel tip here, I wanted to talk about What If because we didn't get in there last week. So I, unless you have a lot of thoughts, I didn't want to talk too much about the Peggy Carter episode because I feel like I think people have like kind of picked those bones clean. I'll say I think it was fine. It wasn't exactly what I was looking for in What If, but I thought it was fine. Like it was entertaining enough but this new episode with t'challa and the guardians of the (laughs) galaxy i think was great and this is exactly what i'm looking for with what if is like you have one thing from the familiar that changes in that uh yondu outsources (laughs) taser face to grab peter quill and instead he comes up with t'challa thinking they look alike because he's terran and all terrans look alike to him right like nice little dig at racism there because they don't look alike but to them they all look alike right and then it has this giant change that happens across all of this stuff and it's not just like guardians of the galaxy it just like spreads out and touches a lot of different things right like uh you have thanos which we'll get back to in a second because i think there's a lot to talk about with thanos there but you have things like the collector is suddenly the big bad in marvel now Right. Or at least in that world. Um, And he's more ripped and for some reason talks differently, even though it's still Benicio del Toro. He's not doing his weird thing that he did with the collector. But it was his voice. Totally. What's Thanos's daughter's name? Uh, Nebula. Nebula. Yeah. Nebula is has the blonde hair and she's missing the eye, but. It seems like she doesn't really have bionic parts for the rest of it. So apparently T'Challa had talked Thanos out of like taking her apart by that point. (laughs) You just have all these little things. I thought it was really funny when they opened it up like in Guardians of the Galaxy where you have that guy comes up and he's like, I'm Star-Lord. And he's instead of saying who he's like a huge fan and just fangirls over him like that was a lot of fun for me, you know. And that's what I like about What If is like it's all of those insulary characters and what happens and how that butterfly effect changes all of it. Yeah. Um, but in particular, I thought Thanos was really fun that they let Josh Berlin just go in there and like crack jokes. Right. Like instead of being the heavy, like everything Thanos says is so heavy in the other movies. And in this one, he's just like talking about the snap like it's a joke. Was like, that um, was that? 
Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. It was, yeah. Nice. He so he got to. That's what I was wondering was, did he get to be fun Thanos? <laughs> yeah, I feel like just about everybody was voicing their characters in this. I think there was like maybe one holdout, but I can't remember who it was. But they even got Kurt Russell to like do one line. Yeah, from Egan. they probably could have done that over the phone. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they, they got him in to, to do that, you know, just across the board. They, they pretty much nailed it with getting all the actors, but I just thought it was a really fun episode. And it was interesting because I heard a writer talking about it from What If, and he was saying that T'Challa is an interesting character for Marvel because if you look at Black Panther, he doesn't really have an arc per se. It's just his attitudes tend to change people around him, which was one of the few criticisms I heard about Black Panther is they didn't really flesh out T'Challa so much. But it's just because they felt like that character influences other people. And he does make a decision in Black Panther, right? Like he decides to open up. But they kind of went with the spirit of that for this episode. And I thought it led to a pretty good one. I thought... That the second episode also, I agree that it was vastly superior, even though the first one was it was fine. I wasn't like super hyped about the show after that first episode came out. And I'm still not like super. This is probably one of the things I'm less hyped about. I think it's because it's animated. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to the MCU, it's just animated stuff feels extraneous and uh I don't care about the extra stuff. There's plenty of content for the MCU. It doesn't need extra cartoons to add to it. You know, that can be separate. I'm okay with it because for this particular show, I don't think they can pull off what they do with the show live action. Like, I don't think they can bring in all those actors to just do an episode or two where they do something wild. Like, I feel like the budgets would just be too high. Like, we're kind of seeing that on the Disney Plus show is like, they'll pick one or two as the main. And then you like, maybe have a cameo for other people in it. But like, there is like a cost to it. Oh, you know who didn't do it? Who's that? Batista. Yeah, that's right. Dave Batista didn't. I remember there was somebody who very clearly was not on board. And that makes sense because it was, uh, Fred Tataschiori, who uh, is on the family guy. And that makes sense to me because I think Dave Batista is like he really fucking done with Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't asked. I mean, he's in Guardians 3, but I think that's the last time we'll probably see Drax in the MCU. Yeah. We'll the, see the Christmas special first and oh, then right, Guardians. Right. Yeah. And I think that's all we're going to get at But Drax. it looks like in that episode, he was literally the only one that wasn't the voice of – which is a shame because it feels like – it's a shame that he's on the outs with Marvel because it feels like his star is on the rise. Yeah. Like he's about to have Dune and he's been doing these other great things like – Besides Guardians, like it just seems Stuber like... was great. Not as huge as I think they were hoping for, but I love Stuber. I'll go to bat for Stuber. It's really he funny. He was in, uh, I liked him in that uh, Hotel Artemis. I'll, I'll stand by Hotel Artemis. He was good as a Bond henchman. Yeah? Yeah. No, he kind of kills it in everything that he does, honestly. 
I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm okay. I'm for the animation on this. I totally understand why a lot of people aren't into it as much, and that's fine. I feel like that's kind of how What If always is anyway. Like, I'm hearing a lot of people say, like, oh, What If was my favorite comic and stuff like that. But I feel like that's not real. Like, I always enjoyed What If when I picked it up, but it was also contingent on what the story was. Yeah. Because... I did not pick it up when I didn't care about the characters on the cover, right. you know, and yeah, I for sure. think most people were that way. Yeah. And that's why, I like, think... it got <clears throat> runs, like, it would get a run and then go away for a few years and then get another run. There are certain issues that are like, what if this crazy thing happened to your favorite character? And they remembered those episodes fondly because it's something weird happening to their character, like Spider-Man or Ghost Rider or Whatever. Let me talk a bit about my day off. Woke up at like 4.30 in the morning because I went to bed way earlier than I realized. And uh, I didn't know what to do. So I put on Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. Oh, yeah. And I got to say, fucking holds up. Yeah. The songs hold up. They're they're good and they're also they work in like that musical sense sometimes like the first song what the movie opens on and also does a great job of like getting you through the exposition of the opening of the movie so opening song called kickapoo yeah is that right and like it starts off with the kids singing the song at the dinner table and then Meatloaf's Meatloaf's like dad religious dad (laughs) yells at him about how he's grounded and that rock and roll's a devil music. And then he says a little sings a little prayer in his room by himself and then says a prayer to uh Dio, right? Dio's on the poster. (laughs) And then Dio comes alive and tells him to run away from home and go to Hollywood. And then can I just say that was like I remember being overly excited about that when I saw it in the theater because he had that song for Dio and I did not know who Dio was until I heard that song. And then they put out this DVD that had one part like his HBO show and some videos and stuff. And then the other part was a live concert. And then he introed the song Dio talking about how Ronnie James Dio was a singer for like he was a solo artist for a while and then he was he replaced Ozzy Osbourne in uh, Black Sabbath for a while. And that was how I figured out who, who Dio was. And then I realized like, oh, that Holy Diver song was him. Like I didn't know that. But when I saw that in the theater, I was just like, that's cool because I wonder if he knows that there's this whole song about him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's not necessarily complimentary, that song, because there's a, the part where he's like, no more rocking for you. We're taking you to a home, but we will sing a song about you. <laughs> like That's basically saying like he's old as shit, so we're taking his throne, you know? But uh, yeah, great moment for me in the theater seeing that. There were things that I forgot about and little moments that I got to pick up on on this rewatch because I've seen it a bunch of times, but, you know, fresh eyes every time and little things. And, like, one of the things that I really liked was the first time that they play at open mic night. I guess it's the only time because they don't make it into the into the thing the second time. But they go in and as they're playing, like, the lady that's, like, running the applause meter like looks enthusiastic at first and Kyle sees it and like w- gives her this wink and then she immediately like is like re- 
repulsed by his wink <laughs> and the look on her face is so goddamn funny that i rewound it and played her reaction like two or three times just because it was so good and uh i was pretty happy with all of the songs and like there's these little interstitials that separate the story into chapters and they're little animated like transfer sections that have little mini songs that are like you know just like one line you know and uh, those are cool. And Tim Robbins has a great, <laughs> great cameo. God, his cameo is so good. And then, like, even Amy Poehler. Dude, Amy Poehler kills what? it. What? Where she's got the black eye. <laughs> Dude, what happened to your eye? I burned it with a curling iron. What? <laughs> what? It's a bruise. <laughs> Or later when she's just like, well, that must be really hard. It must be tough being so pretty. <laughs> yeah. Everything's free when you're pretty. <laughs> I, I like his answer to He's like, I will have one small glass of carrot juice. We don't have that. Then I will have nothing. <laughs> and like Kyle is like, let me get the fried chicken and the steak and the chicken fried steak. <laughs> Just keeps saying the same. I oh. love like Ben Stiller pulling him into the closet and like holding up the lighter to oh, like, talk man, to him. He's like, a light switch right back here. Yeah. Like, no, don't it's do for ambiance. <laughs> a lot of good cameos. A lot of really good cameos. Uh, yeah. It was fun that we got Bigfoot. Like the interesting thing about Fred it is. Fred Armisen. Did you ever, did you ever see, uh, oh no, it's not Fred Armisen. It's the guy who directed uh, Pick a Destiny. What are you talking about? Fred Armisen's one of the security guards. Oh, I the... thought you were talking about Bigfoot. I was like, oh, no. no. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Dave Grohl is Satan. That's yeah. pretty fun. And that goes back to because he was in the video playing Satan, right? For uh, tribute. Did you ever watch the HBO show? Yes. Yeah. It's like, a bit much. It's they definitely didn't quite find it yet. You know, they they didn't figure out what totally worked for him. But there's definitely some fun moments in it. But uh, I like how they kind of retell a lot of the HBO show, but they yes. just do it in a much better way. Like the Sasquatch thing, like, ah, it'll just be a hallucination. <laughs> Does it really work to have him where they see him in the forest and that rejuvenates their love of the band? So but then they play nonsense. music with him and he doesn't, they're like, he's terrible at playing drums. So they're like, we're a power duo and it doesn't really work as a trio. <laughs> There's a friggin', uh, bunch of guys from mr show yeah and they all show up in the same scene playing like droogs like uh what's that what's that movie the droogs the droogs they wear the white jumpsuits and the black bowlers and oh uh a clockwork orange yeah the clock they dress up like clockwork orange guys and they're like threatening jack while he's in the on the bench because he's just a baby. <laughs> and then, of course, you got Paul F. Tonkins reprising his role yeah. as the host of the open mic. And then in he the transforms show. into the devil. He's got that whole, he's like, Satan's not a thing in a guitar pick. Satan's inside you, all of us. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, he's Satan and the he whole time. Satan. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. I, I love in the movie how he's so nonplussed to introduce them. He's like, and he did this on the HBO show all the time, but he'd be like, 
uh, the band told me to read this. Like every time yeah. he always says that, it just undercuts whatever he's going to say. And he's just always could not give a shit. But then when Jack Black is having the uh, dream sequence where they're doing great with the pick of destiny, he's like, the band didn't tell me to read anything. I'm saying this from my heart. I fucking love this band. <laughs> like, the oh, best no. band, period. <laughs> Oh, and uh, Amy Adams is in the movie as well as Gorgeous Woman. You see her for like half a second. I guess that would have been uh, before she really popped up. Popped yeah, big, this is right? before that. Uh, you literally see her like half for half a second just throwing her hair around during the Master Exploder song. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I do so not good. need a microphone. <laughs> My voice is fucking powerful. <laughs> it's a pretty good Jack Black there, dude. And uh, not as good as fucking Troy Gentiles, man. That kid, he plays young JB and he does a great fucking job. When you look at his little face, you look at his little face doing the the Jack Black face. And, they and I'm him, like, they give him he that little, does good. They give him that little chip tooth so that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's now Barry on the Goldbergs. And it's so funny that we never put that together because he does. It's you can see it. The resemblance. Yeah, I, I want to go back and see that just so that I can I can tell. I'm sure that I'll recognize it right away. But I have not seen it since I watched the Goldbergs. Well, so. it's worth the rewatch. All the, it just it really holds up. In the weirdest ways. It's so dumb. It's so fucking dumb. But it works. It just fucking works. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. No, it's a it's a great movie. And uh got crushed by Borat in the theaters. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. It was just not bad. doomed it, to be successful at the box office. I don't think it so. It was doomed but... to be pick up picked up as a like as a cult classic. The bummer of that is like Jack Black was on a hell of a tear at that point. Like everything he was well, doing I was Well, I still gold. consider the film a success. It may not have been a box office success, but it is a successful film. Oh, I agree. It hits. Yeah. No, I agree. On every level it works and it pr- arguably shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about Free Guy really quick because I went to go see that and I wasn't really blown away by the trailer. I mean, I loved watching the, the Korg and Deadpool breakdown of the trailer, but I did not get the joy out of it that everybody else got. And I was pleasantly surprised by that movie. I really? thought it worked in a way that I did not think it was going to work. And part of that is they really, really thought out what they were telling in this. And it would be easy to just be like, yeah, it's a video game world and not really derivate outside of that or have reasons for why things happen. But they actually have real reasons as to why Ryan Reynolds is breaking out from being an NPC. And it's well thought out and makes a lot of sense. And then when you get to the end, um, I don't think this is really a spoiler, but like he doesn't wind up with that girl you see in the trailer. Like they have something different that they line up that I don't really want to give away because it should kind of be watched, but they kind of hint to it a couple of times earlier and then they just out and out finally do it. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. The other thing is uh, Ben Schwartz. Great in that movie. Didn't even know he was in it because he looks like he's that crazy cop with the mustache in the commercials. And so that's like his avatar in the game. But like he fucking kills it in that movie. And he's 
if he's not, he's either tied for the second lead or he's the third lead of that movie. But he really kills it, dude. And I get the feeling if Free Guy does well, that guy's just going to keep having a career in movies like this because he really fucking nailed it. And I think on the back of like voicing Sonic, I think that's going to help him out a lot. And I like that because he seems to be a genuinely good dude when I hear him. And he's also very funny, which is a good combination for me, you know. But uh, Ben Schwartz alone, I'd say it's like worth it just for watching him. Like he's really fun in it. And there's a really fun cameo in it too. And it's like it could have been this really corny scene and it probably is, but like it made me laugh the way that they unspool it they have a marvel thing that i'll just leave it at that but it's kind of a fun moment um yeah i just really enjoyed it i thought they did a good job they had a lot of fun playing with the video game thing but coming up with good reasons for it It wasn't enough to just have the joke they also set it up so that the joke plays within the movie and makes logical sense so right. yeah I'm, I'm all about it they definitely knew how to use ryan reynolds in it you know like Taika Waititi, did they use him um probably underused him a little bit a little under i would say uh so what i've been thinking about this is like i don't understand why take iytd wanted to do this movie because it's not that they under with ryan reynolds <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but well, they were in uh, Green Lantern together. He does exactly what he's supposed to do, which is be an obnoxious villain. Like that's that's his job. And when you watch this movie, you expect nothing more of that <clears throat> particular character. And he nails it, but it's like they don't give him – a lot to do in it in a sense like he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do as that character so it's like he doesn't have enough scenery to choose it's kind of it's kind of a bummer because like take iytd is so funny that i wish they had given him more stuff like when he has lines that are jokes they're always the kind of jokes that are supposed to fall flat on the audience because it's him telling a joke that's supposed to not be funny if that makes sense. Right. When he – what he should be doing instead is being an over-the-top character whose existence is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't do that because they try and make him grounded in a way. Like when you watch this guy – I mean and there's a couple funny moments with him. But when you watch him, you're like, yeah, that's a real guy. Like absolutely. Like that's a real guy when you watch it. And so it's not his performance that I object to. I don't really object to him being in the movie. It just feels weird because he's been on such a tear. It just feels like a bit of a waste of Take IYTD, I guess. But I would go see it. It's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. Like it's a fun movie. You might forget it after you walk out of the theater, but it'll be a fun 90 minutes, you know. It's it's not a barn burner necessarily, but, you know, it's a good afternoon. So, okay, there's a good recommendation for something that is fun and accessible. Mm-hmm. Here is a recommendation for something that is unpleasant and unaccessible. <laughs> <laughs> a Carl special. <laughs> but equally good, if not better. I don't know. That's a subjective. Uh after I finished watching Tenacious D and Pick of Destiny, I didn't know what to watch next, but I had heard things about this Netflix show called Brand New Cherry Flavor. And one of the things that had piqued my attention was that people were saying that it was Cronenbergian, which is – that's pushing my buttons. Yeah, because I would have said Cronenberg-esque. <laughs> Cronenberg-esque? cronenberg Ian Cronenberg, it's got a certain Cronenbergitude, a certain Zenishe Cronenberg, Quanenberg, Quanenberg, Zenishe Quanenberg. 
Anyways, uh, so I checked it out, and it's an eight-episode limited series, and I wound up watching the entire thing. On Netflix, you said, right? Yeah. I watched the whole thing all at once because it was my day off, and I started it at like six in the morning and just watched (laughs) it all day. And uh, I don't know if I'd recommend doing that, but I will say I would be surprised if you didn't watch at least two at a time because it's hard not to go, what the fuck is going to happen next? And especially a couple of episodes where they do the the cutoff for the next episode. It's just like, uh, why would you stop it right there? Because it's a show that's designed to do that. God, they love their cliffhangers. You know who I blame for that? Breaking Bad? No. Before that? Quantum Leap? Nope. I'm going to blame a book. Okay. And I'm blaming it not necessarily because it was the first person or the first book to do it. It's definitely not. But it was an insanely popular book. And one of the things that made it so accessible was the fact that every single chapter is short and digestible and ends on a cliffhanger. And that book is The Da Vinci Code. Okay. Fuck you, The Da Vinci Code. (laughs) I was waiting for that. I didn't want to read that book when it first hit the bestseller list because I was skeptical of its popularity. I listened to it on a book on tape that Colin Corbett handed me. I believed that it was um, an inflated uh, – <coughs> the popularity of it I believed was artificially inflated and was not truly representative of the book's quality. And simply because the book was super popular means that I'm inherently resistant to it. I did the same thing with Avatar. I still have never seen Avatar. I haven't either. Um, I'm not sure it's my speed. I will say with The Da Vinci Code, I think there was one key thing that made it so popular was they were talking about the idea of the Holy Grail being a metaphor for uh, one of Jesus's having uh, Mary Magdalene. And there was blood relative of Christ. There was historical. It was historical fiction. And I think it was that idea that like when that book came out and became a bestseller, there was all these like Discovery Channel specials and <laughs> things and things like that where they like dove into it. And it's genuinely interesting. And so I think what happened was he hit on something that people didn't know that was fascinating in history because every conversation I had about that book, it wasn't about the plot. It was about that. Like I think people were drawn to that element. And I think that's why it blew up so big. I think Dan Brown just like hit on the right little factoid that captivated are very formulaic like it's almost like he writes them like if there was a book equivalent of a paint by numbers yeah that's what his books feel like and i don't necessarily mean that in it as a negative i mean it is when you compare it to like douglas adams or kurt vonnegut he's not a bad writer and he's certainly successful so i'm not like disparaging him can i disparage somebody really quick yeah uh, Who's worse? Grisham. Because Grisham <laughs> literally go, like hires people to go to malls and ask them th- – like he'll have a list of things and ask them what they're interested in. And the things that come up the most popular, he just like puts together <laughs> all those elements to sure. make a book. That's how he winds up with so many best-selling Hey, best-selling if it lists. works, it works, man. Yeah. You got to do what it's you also, do. It's also like hard to believe that he's passionate about anything Of course, here's the about. thing. So I was driving – to uh once i was driving to my old college with my friend sarah 
and we got on the subject somehow of the Da Vinci Code. And I said that I hadn't read it, and I said why I hadn't read it. And she called me a book snob. (laughs) And we got into a huge fight about it. And that was sort of still in the air when I tried to take – we were driving from Powell, Wyoming to Red Lodge, and I was – following the gps we were going to a red elvis's concert and the gps said take this dirt road and i was like i'll do it and she was like don't do it that's a bad idea and i was like i trust my gps this is a shortcut and then we got like stuck in the mud halfway up this hill and i was like going in reverse and going and drive and going in reverse and i rocking us out of it and i got us out of it and we went farther up the hill there was at the very very top of the hill there was like a giant mound of frozen snow, like six, no, like 15 feet high and about 15 feet long. <laughs> that seems pretty insurmountable. And yeah, oh, there was no way <laughs> over it, right? If you had so, a canyon arrow, maybe. So then um, we couldn't get back the other way for some reason. And... uh We wound up getting a ride from a sheriff. My buddy wound up flagging down a highway patrolman that he was following us to the concert and we lost him, but he didn't follow us. He stayed on the road like he should have. And he flagged down a highway patrolman who came and gave us a ride into Red Lodge. We stayed at a hotel overnight. The next morning, we took a tow truck up the other side of the hill and we put cables over the snowbank and like towed my car over the like through the snow just pulled it through with the tow truck start driving down the other side and i can't seem to get over like 25 miles an hour well i burned out my transmission going back and forth <sighs> putting reverse drive reverse drive reverse drive reverse drive and uh it's just this horrible nightmare night vacation trip that was further associated than with Forever, for some reason, I I forever associate that memory with the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) Because that's how I got started on this story in the first place was the Da Vinci Code and me being called a book snob and being so angry about and offended at being called a book snob. And like nowadays, if you called me a book snob, I'd be like, probably. But what does my opinion matter? So... Who cares if I'm a book snob? Because my opinion doesn't matter. And I never... Here's... This is the trick. Be a book snob all you want. Just don't be a book snob with people whose opinions you actually want to influence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I could be a book snob with you, right? But I wouldn't be a book snob with my daughter. With my daughter, I would be, like, supportive of whatever she wanted to read because at least she's fucking reading. Yeah, you know? I'm the same way. And uh, I want to encourage her to read good things, but... At the end of the day, and it's the same thing with music. Like, I don't disparage music that she listens to, even though it's all terrible. I'll never tell her that. (laughs) I hate the TV shows she likes. I hate a lot of the things that she likes, and I'm sad that she likes them, but (laughs) I would never tell her that. Yeah. I'm also very impressed with a lot of her choices. So, I mean, it's a mixed bag. I'm a mixed bag. You're a mixed bag. Yeah. Serenity, we share a lot of shows together, and we have a fun time watching those. And there are shows that I try and get her to watch that she wants nothing to do with. Yeah. 
which is fine. And there's shows that she loves that I want nothing to do with, which is also fine. But I will occasionally make fun of the shows that she likes that I don't want to watch because we do have things that we share. And I'm not like knocking feet under them but i will do stuff sometimes where i like want to make them kind of think about what they're watching and an example of that is uh all my kids were watching pixels a couple years ago and i was just like oh god but they were all being good they were all sitting down and watching it and i didn't want to ruin their experience so i sat down to watch it with them but at a certain point i made kind of a shitty comment which was like i was like oh watch this that girl that like just turned down adam sandler she's gonna come around at at the end of the movie and like be totally okay with him and he won't have learned a lesson and then it happened and river was like wow you're right about that i was like yeah that's every adam sandler movie is like flawed in that way like over and over again he's just like a man child and he doesn't change the woman learns to appreciate his like man childness you know (laughs) and it gets pretty old on your 20th viewing of like a different adam sandler movie work because that's part of his formula but i would say it's a very corrosive part of the formula and so you know I'll, i'll take time to kind of point out things like that sometimes it's like well Think about what you're watching. Think about the message of the thing you're watching, you know. But in terms of like, like my kids watch anime, I don't know what the fuck's going on in them. I don't care. I'm also not going to rip on them because I realize that's their speed and it's not my speed, you know. But you were talking about uh, the show that was Cronenberg-esque. Yeah, so it's basically Elevator Pitch. It's about a girl who has made a short film and has a production deal go awry after a guy, a producer guy, um, betrays her. And she enlists the help of a witch that she encounters and uh, in an effort to get revenge on him and to get her stolen movie back. And uh, it's pretty wild like on one side it's got this crazy freaky gross out uh stuff with like um guts and gore and and things of that nature but then at the same time it's got like sort of that hollow vapid sort of monotone la existence like oh like I know all about Hollywood, but I'm not in Hollywood. I'm in real estate. Right. Kind of shit. Take the 41 down to 23. <laughs> yeah. Take the 23 down to the bridge. It just fucking works. As everything sort of descends, it gets crazier and crazier. And there are like weird hallucinatory moments. A lot of hallucinating and a lot of throwing up of cats like live cats <laughs> she's like giving birth to cats by throwing them up it's <laughs> anyways uh it's definitely one of those shows that i want to talk about endlessly but can't because you just have to, you can't have this stuff spoiled like particularly there's one thing in that it's like when you see it you know this is the kind of thing you don't spoil You just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, sometimes there are things that, like, when you say, oh, and then Captain America gets frozen in the ice at the end of First Avenger, and it's like, spoilers, like, but is it really? I mean, that is, you know, like, the well-trod origin of the hero. Or, like, 
Iron Man's gonna beat Thanos at the end of the right. game. Ghostbusters beat Zool. The Ghostbusters are <laughs> the good guys are going to win most of the time at the end of the movie. You know, like there are things that are not really spoilers, but this is a thing that is a spoiler, and it's it's I guess it's kind of a plot spoiler, but not really. Like, I mean, it doesn't inform you of where the plot is going or has gone. Or... <clears throat> is it like a fucked up thing that is super interesting, but it would take away from it talking about it? I think that if you knew it was coming, it the impact would be lessened. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that that is a quintessential spoiler thing right there. Yeah. Yeah. Free and Guy has none of those moments. This is a by movie <laughs> with like this is a movie with like uh, shock, shocking moments. It's sh- it, a lot of the things that happen in this movie are designed to be shocking. But what's also funny is like she'll throw up cats. Like that's one of the ways she's for some reason the cats are like I don't know what they're supposed to represent, but it's like magical power. The cats are magic power somehow, concentrated magic power, and. Uh, so that's how she's paying her debt is by throwing them up, producing these cats now, as like a way of making payment for it, – It's essentially for getting even with somebody, right? Do you think a curse. maybe – She's you, putting a curse on a guy. Do you think maybe it represents her innocence in a way? I mean uh, I'm just going off of the few things you told me. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call her innocent. OK. She And I'm saying when the movie starts, she has – or if she had innocent, if we're all born, presumably born with innocence, she has lost hers already when the movie begins. It's okay. some, due to some past event. So it's not really, I'm not sure what the point is other than Hollywood is a fucked up place. And a lot of the things that happen in this are definitely metaphors for how you get, how you get treated in Hollywood. And uh, I don't know other than that, you know, exploitation revenge those kinds of things the price of revenge the cost of magic magic comes with a price it's a story as old as time and uh, it's just this one's told particularly well this is not an original story by any means but uh it is an well executed one i think i mean this is even an adaptation from a novel (laughs) yeah Catherine keener is the witch she kicks fucking ass Rosa, what did I say? I don't want to. Salvador, Salsa, Salzado. Uh, God damn it. The one from Alita Battle Angel, correct? She was in Alita Battle Angel, correct? Yeah. Uh, Let me just look her up again real quick. I want to get her name right. Rosa Salazar. She is the lead. Lisa Nova, she plays. Um, She's fantastic. Uh, She looks, she's like got this weird look where. Sometimes I swore I was looking at Christina Milioti. Other times I swore I was looking at Aubrey Plaza. Other times I thought I was looking at um, Anya Taylor-Joy. So, uh, but she, then other times I would look at her and see her herself. You know, she does have her own look, you know, it's just weird. Uh, It almost made me feel like part of the surreal nature was choosing her because she has this kind of mercurial look where she kind of shifts. And we've seen her, for example, in Alita Battle Angel. With big cartoonish expressive eyes. So then you're like extending that out and you're like, she looks like that thing that could not be. (laughs) Also, one of the more interesting things about this movie, this show, is that it it has nudity, but the nudity is never like sexual. It's never exploitive. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, It's incidental. 
and not played up. I mean, it's there, and it's like, well, if you ever wanted to know what this actress looks like naked, you have an opportunity, but it's not like she's intentionally doing sexy things. I guess that's the sad commentary on human nature is that men know how to sexualize any act. So women are just basically screwed no matter what. Yeah, I was um, just doing a podcast on <laughs> Rear Window, which will be up in a couple of weeks. On a oh, Cosmic yeah, Boy. with uh, John Turturro and... Uh, no. <laughs> and, uh, John Turturro and uh, Johnny Depp. Or he writes the no, book. And no, no, that's... Shooter. That's Secret Window. That's what you said, Secret Window. No, Rear Window, the Hitchcock one. I'm pretty sure you said Secret Window. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they have a girl that's meant to just be leered at in that movie. And it is every move she does is supposed to be very, uh, I guess, like erotic. But I mean, she like she's a ballet dancer and she's like working out. But she does the thing where she like bends down really low when she's grabbing things low. And like it's very intentionally done because the whole movie is talking about voyeurism. Mm hmm. But it's also really uncomfortable, like, when you watch this movie and you are somewhat titillated by it and then you, like, start reading up on the movie and it's like, oh, that girl was 17 years old. <laughs> Man, you were a creep, Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah, he is a creep. <laughs> and for so many movies. more reasons that I get into in the podcast as well. But Yeah, I just – I pretend Hitchcock doesn't exist and I appreciate the ripple effect his work has had. Yeah. But I leave it at that. I'm not going to go back and watch this old shit. I will, but I'm also fascinated with movie history. And so it comes from that angle. But I also like to have those dialogues of like, look I'm not at, fascinated look at what happened. I, I like uh, going over like what happened in Hollywood history and like understanding it. Not, not just the it. technical stuff, but like <laughs> that stuff that happens behind the screen as no, well. No, that's important history. I'm interested in the history too. I just don't need to watch the yeah, that's fine. material that was created by the person who was the monster sure but i also look at it as like literally nobody's alive to profit off of it who is involved with i it feel like more so i feel like we're all allotted like one bad person that we can be unabashedly a fan of oh i'm not unabashedly and a fan mine, of him as, as, as a person mine, well i know i'm just saying yeah. mine is philip k dick and he never was like canceled Per se. But he didn't live in the era of cancellation but, well, either. Well, he was never popular enough to be canceled in the first place. He only ever wrote books. Uh, he spent most of his life on the verge of poverty fighting schizophrenia. And, like, he popped a couple of his wives in the mouth once or twice. And he also, like, kept divorcing his wife and then marrying a, like, 20-year younger version of his wife. Like he kept marrying a woman that looked like the same. He kept marrying the same looking women over and over again, just younger versions. Mm -hmm. Like clearly he had this idea of a woman that he wanted to be with. And when she got too old, it, that didn't fit what he wanted. So he would just get rid of them. And I think that may have been a side effect of his schizophrenia. But like Hitchcock but, is known for the blondes, right? Like he had a type that he really liked in his movies and he would sexually harass the hell out of them too. Right. He was like fetishizing a very specific look, I think. Yes. But for it himself. was like once that 
woman, once an actress would like make her way out of his life and his pictures, he would just replace it with another one who yeah. was slightly younger who had the same look. You yeah, know? yeah. And and Philip K. Dick did the same thing, and it's pretty gross. And it was I learned about it when I read a biography about him, and uh, I was pretty disappointed, but. I don't care. I'm going to keep reading his books. I kind of feel the same way about Hunter S. Thompson. Like it makes me very uncomfortable reading about domestic abuse and stuff with him because he would get fucked up. And I think his first wife, there's stories about him popping her in the mouth and things. And that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. At the same time, really good writer and had some amazing things that are thought provoking. But yeah, it's like and I mean, grappling what's funny with is the like, person. And I didn't know any of that when he was alive. Here's the other thing too is like some of these guys, like one of the reasons – like the, one of the reasons why I am a fan of William Burroughs is because he is – kind of a beautiful disaster of a person like he's a disaster of a person hunter as well (laughs) and hunter is also kind of a beautiful beautiful disaster they wouldn't be what they are if they were better yeah and it's like who are we to be like well i appreciate you for all this good bad stuff that you did but because of this one bad bad thing you did that's not the right kind of bad. It's the wrong kind of bad. And I get to – who am I to decide what's the good kind of bad and the wrong kind of bad anyways in the first place? Who am I to decide what's good and bad? You know, at the end of the day, there are certain things we can judge in our fellow man, you know. And I do think domestic abuse is one of those things. That's why we are uncomfortable. But also, like, we are not innocent in the sense that – we may have not crossed this basic line that exists for every single human being, but I guarantee at some point in every single person's life, they've crossed a line with another person. Yeah. Whether it be a personal line that that person set, a boundary that person set that got violated in some way, personal privacy, you know, petty theft, what have you. But like, we're all guilty of, the, of at least that, you know, it's just when somebody crosses a line, that everybody agrees is um, a line that shouldn't be crossed. It's I, always actually, way harsher. I think you're starting to – you're hinting at something that I've been thinking about today. And uh, so Matt Damon a little bit ago gave an interview and yeah. he was talking about how he used a disparaging term for gay people, right? And he would just use it back and forth all the time, which is not okay and you know, I think most people have gone away from that. Uh, a lot of people have not, but a lot of people have. And so he dropped in an interview that his daughter called him the task for it. And he realized, oh, and he hadn't really thought it out. And then so he's like, so I've stopped saying it. And he volunteered this. It wasn't like somebody was coming after him. He just volunteered right. volunteered it. And people on social media just went crazy about it and went after him. Yeah. And um, I was really thinking about this and I was thinking about, I guess, like me personally, because I've been podcasting now for 10 years. And if you go back and listen to some of the older stuff, like I say some sexist shit, that's not okay. Um, Like I've evolved a lot of my thinking on a lot of different things. And uh, I had somebody talk about this stuff in general terms and it made me really think about it and – want to do better and actually address it in podcasts and say like, hey, like I've said this before, but like I'm going to do better. You know, and uh, nobody called me to task for it. I just did it myself. And 
because I'm like not this high celebrity or whatever, like, you know, nobody cares. Like it doesn't matter. Right. right. Like I just get to go on and I get to evolve my thinking and, and be a better person. And I would say that the thing that sticks out about this to me with Matt Damon is he volunteered this. This wasn't something where it was building up and people were like demanding an apology. And then he said that like he volunteered this and said like, yeah, I thought about it and thought I should do better with it. And so to like attack somebody who's like evolved their thinking like that is ridiculous to me. It's like you're kind of on the same side now. Like this is isn't this what you want? Like it's like, are you going for a pound of flesh? Or are you actually going to enact change? Because if you're going to enact change, it seems ridiculous to me to go after people who like realize like, oh, no, I, I did this wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, where do you fall on this? I think that it is kind of a waste of time to go after him for something that is not really a problem. Like he's telling a story about how he fixed himself. Yeah. So I real and like I think the big there was a miscommunication from the original story to that later got clarified where did somebody clickbait it clickbait it well they made it seem like he talked about kind of what you were saying where he was when he was he was sitting at the dinner table right mm-hmm. and he was talking with his family and he said the f word basically yeah right only the f word that's specifically for gay people and. His daughter was like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, why would you use that word? And then he got defensive and he was like, hey, well, I'm from a different time. He used that same – he fell into that same tired defense of it was a different time. But he pointed out like he was – he was like, I was in a movie not that long, like 2006. And I think it's the one where he's – a conjoined twin stuck on oh, you. Oh, yeah. I never Fairly, saw that one. Fairly Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Right? Same guys that did something about Mary, and clearly they have a appreciation for irreverent humor, as they would call it. Like, ha-ha, I got jerk-off on my ear, and now she's going to use it as hair gel. Ha-ha-ha. I, j- I got cum on myself, and she's going to put it in her hair. Hilarious. Um, I'm not a big Ben Stiller movie fan. Anyways, uh, Damn it, now I'm thinking about how I don't like Ben Stiller. <laughs> well, we're talking about Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, Matt Damon. Uh, and so the fact that that movie came out so recently was what was shock was a big part of what was shocking to her. And so she went up to her room and she like wrote a basically like a treatise. She wrote him this thing that said, this is why you don't do this anymore, you know? And he was just really impressed with how she – took it upon herself to like make, craft an argument, not to like, not to just be like, fuck you, but to be like, here is a, is an essay. I'm going to write you an essay as to why this is a problem, you know? And why wouldn't you want to share that with other people? Like my daughter was fucking kind of a badass just now, you know, I want to share how, what an awesome badass my kid was. Mm-hmm. When I was a jackass and she set me straight. And isn't that what we want is that our kids are better than us? Yeah. You know? And what do we really expect from Matt Damon anyways? He's fucking – he's an actor. He's not like – it's not his job to be smarter than anybody. No, but I would say like the end of that story is he realized I shouldn't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's and a good lesson. A, yeah, that's that's the part that kills me about this is like – 
Like he is the one that. I mean, like, like it's a, sho- it is shocking that it would he would have that blind spot for this long in his life. I'll be honest, that man. It's like, not. It's not what shocking is to his, me anymore. Is he in his fifties? Is he in his forties? I I think 40s. he's in his late forties. Yeah, and he's like just now figuring that out. But I guess, I guess, yeah. People, some people just don't. When you don't have to think about stuff like that, you, you don't. Don't. Yeah. And I also think that introspection. I don't want to sound arrogant, but it feels like I meet a lot of people in my life, and I'm just like, I don't. I can't imagine you taking an interest in introspection. But I also can't imagine you being capable of it even at all. Like you listen to the way people talk about themselves or their lives and you're like, you just don't don't see it. You don't hear it. And you don't you wouldn't care if you did. You wouldn't even understand why what you're doing is wrong. (laughs) And it's a bizarre thing to have to deal with. Yeah. On a regular basis. You know, like my dad was, you know, he struggles with that a lot. With people that are just like uh, so obtuse that it's like you're clearly lying, you know, like these people with like the anti-vaxxers and these Republican senators, mostly the Republican senators, when they just like bald faced lie. Right. Like they take the vaccine and then they rally against it. Yeah. And it's like, why are you doing that? I just uh, literally don't understand. Votes it. and money. It always comes down to votes and money. And and then he'll start to question his own sanity. Like he was saying to me, he was saying, like, am I the crazy one? Like when when we are when me and this other person are presented with the exact same set of facts and we come to completely opposite conclusions based on the same set of data. Like data is a thing that like I suppose it can be interpreted in many ways, but if you want it to be interpreted in a meaningful way, you have to interpret it according to rules of logic, you know, kind of thing. There are certain rules that need to be – and like vaccines make you magnetic. It just doesn't follow any of those rules. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> And it's uh, just like, am I the crazy one? I should say to to give context to listeners who maybe aren't <laughs> aren't local. Uh, so we live in Montana. We're the only state right now that makes it a law that employers cannot require people to be vaccinated for any job, including working at a hospital, including hospitals. And at the current moment, the people that are eligible to be vaccinated, only 49% are vaccinated. So I didn't know it was that bad until I read that this morning. Like it felt that bad, but it was just staring me in an article I was reading today where it was like 49%. It's We've been able to get vaccinated, like everybody. who For free. Who's, yeah, for free. Everybody has been able to get vaccinated here. Since no like, waiting list. Since like what, March? Yeah, I, I called. No, April. I think it was April. I called the health clinic and I made an appointment for that same day. Yeah, and I gave you a ride and then I got mine the very next day. Yeah, it was so stupidly easy. And you know what's funny is some of these people I saw, some of these people were uh, protesting the fact that the CDC recommends that even if you are vaccinated, right, if you are vaccinated, you should still wear a mask indoors, right? And the the anti-vaxxers were saying that that's bad. But the only reason that a vaccinated person would wear a mask is to protect an unvaccinated person. Yep. So they're literally fighting against an 
order that is designed specifically to help them. They are literally biting the hand that feeds them in this point. Like anti-vaxxers are literally at this point lashing out against people that only want to help them. Yeah, it just it feels like a unbelievable. It, it feels like a crazy world. Like I remember, um, and I'm sorry that we're going off on this ramp, but we're I tailing down the fun. we're tailing down the show. So uh, if you're upset, maybe just swallow it and listen. But uh, I remember back in I guess it was early 2020, we were talking about like how awful it was. Like while I'm at work, and we're like worried that. You know, even though we're wearing masks and stuff and we're inside that, like, we're going to get coronavirus. And by the way, somebody I work with did because she was having to work with customers and, you know, it still got through the the mask and she wound up getting coronavirus and we had to shut down for a couple of weeks. And like I had to shut down like our business shut down a couple of times because of it. Like I lost two months of work because of the pandemic, probably. And I don't get that money back. Like, I mean, yeah, I got the handout like everybody else did. But but there was one conversation I was having with somebody that really, really stuck with me at the moment. And, you know, we we're just talking about how great it would be like if a vaccine came out, you know, because at this point, as far as we knew, we weren't even close to a vaccine. And the woman goes, just wait for when they do find a vaccine and most of the people won't take it. And we laughed at first and then it just sort of like hung there. And I was like, oh, God. And I just started thinking about all this other vaccine stuff. And it occurred to me, yeah, this might be a big problem. And then when the vaccine was coming, it seemed like so many people were excited that like I started to not worry about it quite as much because it was like, oh, this will go away. But no. And now it's just like. We've got the Delta variant, and that's probably going to turn into something else that's even worse. Like, eventually, vaccines aren't going to help, or at least vaccines we found because people are not doing the things that they need to do to stop this from spreading. Well, they're also dying, which also does help stop spreading. So, yeah, I mean, and it's and like we did just lose a guy uh, that was a major COVID misinformation guy. I read about this, that that guy in South Carolina. So I'm just saying, like, it's not like they're getting to spread this bad information and then not die. They're still dying. They're dying. Look, I'm just going to say, please, please, like, get vaccinated, like, mask up. Just, like, just spend a couple of minutes to think about it. Like, if somebody is explaining why you shouldn't do this and any one part of it sticks out to you, like, what? Like, they're they're chipping me. Don't we already have a GPS thing on our phone that they can track us with? Why do they need to put it in our body? Or, like, uh, my friend got vaccinated and metal doesn't stick to her. You know what I mean? Like, these little things, like, maybe if they stand out. Maybe just ignore the people that are saying this because you probably can't trust the whole of what they're saying. Yeah, don't trust them when they say something like, my sister has never been sick before in her entire life. And then she got the vaccine and she was deathly ill for six weeks. Dude, I got flu shots and they made me sick every time for years. But even if let's say that everything in that man's statement is true, her body is such an extraordinary body with an immune system that is not a representative sample (laughs) for the average person that her experience is not a useful experience to apply to the rest of us because she's it turns out she was 43 years old so she'd never been sick in 43 years i kind of don't believe it i mean (laughs) but even if that's true then the fact that the one thing that was able to get her sick in 43 years of living on this planet was this vaccine that that's 
there's something else going on with her body, you know, that we need to research. We should definitely like get her down into a lab. <laughs> we need blood samples. We, we need, need bone we marrow. We need an autopsy. We need like yeah. we need to turn her into a military weapon. She's a she's a <laughs> lab experiment. She's a test subject from now on. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to be a plot point in Sweet Tooth. Yeah. So uh I guess at the end of the day, what are we saying? We're saying watch brand new cherry flavor. We're saying go back and check out Pick a Destiny again. We're saying go ahead and waste time. Watch Free Guy. Free Guy is a, not a bad thing to do for an afternoon. What if is not necessarily important or a must watch, but I like it. You're not so much. You don't care. It ain't going to kill you to watch it. Yeah. It'll be fun. It's a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh Philip K. When, Dick, Hunter S. Thompson, problematic, but great writers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when am I – we're going to talk about the new season of Rick and Morty here soon, upcoming. But the finale is coming out on like the 5th of September. So after that comes out, I'll just – we'll talk about the whole season in a lump thing because it's been yeah. pretty great. And we're also saying don't harass McDonald's employees, Rick and Morty fans. <laughs> yeah, them alone. good. They, they have enough on their plate right now. <laughs> Be, like Melania said, be better. All right, take it easy. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Subscribe to all the podcasts on our network. Season 3 of Movies with Wrestlers has Eric and Connor answering the question on everyone's mind. Who's better, The Rock or John Cena? Every week, a cosmic void has Jeremiah and Biggs deconstructing influential movies. Not Safe for Network examines the zeitgeist through rabbit holes, deep dives, interviews, and pop culture battles weekly. And if you need some classic TV talk, catch up on the previous three seasons of In Syndication.